0: Good morning. It's good to be here worshiping today. Great time in the Lord's presence for sure. Um, As we are concluding this morning, the book of Philippians, I wanted to introduce where we're going next starting starting this coming weekend. Uh, Next Sunday, we're going to be in a three week series titled Hope in the Valley God's Presence in our trials, and we'll be, we'll be looking at three messages, perspective in pain, persevering when we'd rather quit, and the ways that we are prepared by God for the valleys. Um, as we make our way uh, through those, we'll be spending some time in the Old and New Testaments, Uh, We'll be looking at the life of Joseph, the prophet Elijah, the apostle Paul, Job, and then ending looking at the 23rd Psalm. And so um, I I invite you to make sure you don't miss a week. They all three will go together. Um, it, It should be an encouraging, a hopeful and, um, and, and a good word. And, and after that three-week series, we'll then be diving into another book of the Bible, and uh, we'll be teaching again verse by verse through that. I'll be announcing it in a couple of weeks, um, and uh, it, it'll be a surprise at this point, so don't ask. Um, but if you know, don't tell, all right? I think there's one or two people that have an idea. But anyway, um, I also wanted to ask for your prayer and just kind of um, share a little bit. Um, we get some free advertising tomorrow morning on K-Wave. Um, I'll be, uh, yeah, I'll be I'll be live on K-Wave a little bit after 8.25 for a whopping three minutes. Um, but some of you, you listen to K-Wave and you know they have a program uh, come together live where they invite pastors to come on air and share a live devotional. I'll be right before Greg Laurie in A New Beginning. So pray for me. I've never opened for Greg before, but you know. It's always a first, but, but as I do that, um, they'll be sharing the church website and, um, and our church, Calvary Chapel Foothill Ranch, inviting people to come and, and check us out and visit. I met with a couple guys from K-Wave a month or so back, and, um, and they said that's really their heart uh, to make connections, so hopefully this won't be the last, but um, it, it'll be an opportunity to, um, to uh, invite invite people from our community to find us here in Foothill Ranch. So whenever I go, whenever I do things like this, I'm always, you know, I'm going with you. I'm being sent. And so uh, if you are of a mind to remember tomorrow, a little bit after 8.25, tune in or pray, and it's it's on their Facebook Live as well. And then after the three minutes, um, we'll continue with Bob Shaw, some uh, Q&A, a little extra discussion for another 10 minutes or so, but um, anyway, and then I'll just take Greg's spot the week after, so um, I'm just kidding. This morning, we are, as I mentioned, we're ending our, our study of Paul's letter to the Philippians in this final segment. Uh, Paul is thanking them for their support of him uh, in his imprisonment. And today, we're going to consider his last words on this subject of giving, because that was the purpose of the letter, was to thank them for the gift that they sent by the hand of Epaphroditus. And so as he ends, he comes back to that, um, thanking them for that support. And we're going to look at these words um, on this subject of giving and their gift to him, why we give, how it benefits us, how we grow through this act of faith and obedience, um this response of love for both the one ministering and the work of God itself and and this message really it's part two to last week if you were here last week you know we also spoke about giving um if you're if you're maybe visiting or you haven't been here for a while no I don't usually do back-to-back messages on giving um, I was thinking during worship about um, years back some people I knew went and visited a a a church with a more charismatic, a more Pentecostal bent. And if you've been to those, you know giving, giving offering can sometimes be a little bit different. We don't even take an offering here. Um, and, and there's just a little bit of a show aspect to it um, where the, the giving is paraded up, people dancing, laying the money down at the altar. And at this particular service, the, uh, the ushers took what was brought, took it to the back, counted it, brought a little note up to the pastor. And service was not concluded yet. And he got up in front of the congregation and told them, this is not going to do. Uh, we're doing this again and nobody's going anywhere till we get to where we need. That's not what's happening here, okay? I promise. Um, this message really, it, it works best in the context of last week where we laid more of a theological and a doctrinal framework for giving and tithing and offering. And so if you missed it, go back and listen to it. But today, we really address and speak more to the heart of giving. And if you have the outline for this morning's message, you know that is the title. As we look at verses 14 through 23, let's read those verses and then we'll pray. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all in abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need, according to his riches and glory, by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we, as we open your word this morning, God, as we read and study the scriptures, we pray that you would make them alive to us. Father, that you would cause by your Holy Spirit, we the listeners, to be able to hear, understand, and receive what you want to say to us this morning. Lord, that you would grow us, move us, mature us, into the people you've called us to be, that you give us the faith to take the steps you're calling us to. We ask this in your Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. I read that a missionary was speaking of the needs of the foreign fields uh, and was to receive a special offering to help out with this work. They were about to call for giving in this church where he was speaking a man was sitting next to the uh, the aisle about halfway up, and he, he folded his arms in response to this, this petition for giving with a grim look on his face, a scowl, and a frown. He didn't want to be there. Probably his wife uh, made him come or something like that. But when, when the usher came down to where he was and held the plate in front of him, he just shook his head. And the usher jiggled the plate invitingly, um, Still, the only response was the the head shake. The usher leaned over and whispered, it's for missions, you know. Still, the scowl and, and a mumbled sentence, I don't believe in them. The usher leaned down and said, then you take some out. It's for the heathen anyway. <laughs> giving is for us, but not in that way. And I, I would not advocate for that tactic in addressing giving, you know, guilt and shame and all of that. But um, maybe you can relate. I don't know. But giving, really, it keeps our hearts healthy. It reminds us that all that we have belongs to God. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift comes from uh, the Father, to abbreviate that passage. It focuses our minds and our perspectives on the eternal rather than just on me, on ourselves. Years ago, a pastor friend of mine, maybe you've heard me, heard me share about this before, but he compared our giving to Gollum and his bondage to the ring. Some of you have read Tolkien's uh, Lord of the Rings books, or maybe you saw the movies, but that ring had control of Gollum, and it, it plagued Bil- Bilbo, and it also plagued his his nephew Frodo. Um, it, it had to be destroyed in order for them to be freed from it. It had to be given away that he might be freed. Um, the hobbit found freedom, Frodo did, uh, but ultimately the ring did master Gollum, destroying him as it itself was cast into the, the molten fires of Mordor. Money is a terrible master, but it's a wonderful servant. Giving helps us to keep it in its rightful place where it might serve us where it can be directed toward eternal purposes when we fail to give it forces its way in a position into a position in our hearts that typically leads to idolatry giving not only allows us to share in eternal investments and eventual dividends but it also protects us from worshiping and serving mammon Holding our, uh, our wealth not only with an open hand but also giving, um, being intentional about giving it away is used by God to grow our hearts, to align them with his. So let's start by looking at verses 14 through 16. Our first point this morning is giving is partnership, giving is partnership. Verse 14, Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, now understand, Macedonia, that's where Philippi was. So this would be like... um a pastor leaving California, even though he was in the city of Lake Forest, and saying, when I departed from California, or Orange County more specifically, he's referring to the church in Philippi, he's just speaking to the region. Um, and no one, when he left, uh, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only, only the church in Philippi. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. So As he has previously, Paul, again, he's expressing his thanks to the church for their generosity, for their sacrifice in supporting him. Um, a church by the way that didn't necessarily have the money to give. in fact they didn't they were struggling. We read about that in second Corinthians chapter 8 when Paul he, he kind of has to chide the Corinthians a little bit because they made this commitment to give to the church in Judea that was really struggling. it was, it was sort of a relief offering. they hadn't given it yet and, and he's bringing up the church in Philippi and their generosity to kind of challenge and stir up the Corinthians like hey, Uh, they're doing it. Maybe it's time for you. Verse 1, in fact, they already had. Moreover, brethren, 2 Corinthians 8, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, even Beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So, having committed their lives to Christ, these Philippian believers, they then committed themselves in partnership, in friendship uh, to Paul and the others. Giving, not simply out of their abundance, but out of their poverty. Um, like like the widow that Jesus pointed out to the disciples. Remember that? The, the rich guy gave tons. She gave, you know, a mite, and Jesus pointed to the disciples and said she, she gave more than all because she gave out of her poverty. Not, not I've got a ton, and I'm going to give, you know, what might be a lot to you, but really it isn't to me. I'm going to give some of that. No, the widow had hardly anything, and she gave from that. That was how the Philippians' giving was as well. We we misunderstand when we think that um, giving should be delayed until it's comfortable. The reality is that giving is to simply be a permanent fixture of our faith in good times and in bad, and that's the model that we see here. Just like other spiritual disciplines, I don't. I don't read the word only when I have time. I don't pray just when things are going bad. Uh, I don't. I'm not in fellowship just when I'm. You know, don't have other things scheduled. Th- those are those are healthy, continual, and ongoing disciplines in our lives. In some ways, this gift from the Philippians it meant more to Paul because they were the first to partner with him in this way when he'd left their region. They'd given early on. Verse 16, uh, it tells us that they supported him when he was in Thessalonica. And if you go back to Acts chapter 16, you might remember that Paul was, was driven out, asked to leave Um, that area by the authorities, and then he ended up in Thessalonica. So he went from them immediately to Thessalonica, and right away they sent their support to him. Right away they were already invested. Uh, it, It was a habit for the Philippians. They understood not only their responsibility in this, but the blessing and joy of partnering in this way. Did you catch that back in 2 Corinthians chapter 8? Paul said, but they gave themselves, they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. It was was an expression of their friendship with Paul, their love for him, but even more importantly for the gospel message and Christ, their Savior, their gifts were helping to fuel the evangelism and ministry that was taking place through the apostle. Verse 14, nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Pastor David Gusick writes that uh, there was a real sense in which the giving of the Philippians was better for them than it was for Paul. Godly giving, he writes, actually does more good for the giver than for the one who receives. Have you noticed that? And I, and I know, if a pastor says that, it can sound like a gimmick, like, yeah, sure, you just want to, yeah. I, honest to goodness, I talked about my own personal experience last week a little bit. We need this. I need this. I need that healthy outflow. I need to release the ring and give it back to the Lord, right? I, I need to be freed from that. I need that, those clutches pulled away from my heart so that it can be completely devoted to the Lord. Now, last week we spent a lot of time reviewing the biblical principle that the one engaged in full time ministry um, can and, and should derive their income from that ministry. So if you missed it, give it a listen, all right? But briefly, God has asked those who labor for him full time, like in pastoral ministry or missions or, or other forms of serving Christ, to depend on support in that way. That's exactly what Paul wrote to the Corinthians, you might remember. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. You shall not muzzle the ox that grinds. Jesus, when he sent out the 70, uh, two by two, he sent them out with that same expectation. We read about it in Luke chapter 10, verse 2. Then he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest, Go your way, he told these pairs of 35. Go your way, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals, and greet no one along the road. He told them, don't, don't like, over-prepare for this trip, because you're going to find the provision as you go. But whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you, and heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Now, that wasn't to be used as license by those that just wanted a free meal. Uh, This was instruction by those who had answered Christ's call on their lives to go, to walk, and live by faith that God would provide. But there would be those that would seek to take advantage, and there still are. And as such, we have to be discerning in our giving and where and to whom we give support. And we're warned of this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. But we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. This disorderly conduct Paul's referring to, it's associated with false apostles and ministers, and included, it included looking for a free meal. Someone that showed up and, and claimed to be a servant of Christ, but, but the, the most uh, obvious and prominent thing about their ministry was that their hand was out. They were looking for a handout. And they happen to be unwilling to work, by the way. Not because we do not have authority, verse 9, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. Remember, we also talked about this last week that Paul, in in a certain part of his ministry, he was bivocational. He was a tent maker. Now, he had the right to receive from the churches, but at this point, he was able to forego that, and he did it in part to contrast with those who were taking advantage. He wanted to show the churches a healthy example. Verse 10, "'For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, "'If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. "'For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, "'not working at all, but are busybodies.'" Now, those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. We have to be wise about the support and the money that we give. We have to be responsible with our giving. Um, Research a bit. Know who you're giving to. I, I typically don't give money to strangers, and strangers don't like that about me. Um, when people come up to me in a parking lot, and maybe they have a bucket or a container, and they're shaking it for some, you know, Jesus High Holy outreach ministry of greater this area or that. And, and I, you know, it's not that I never do this but I want to question it. I, I want to ask them some questions about who they are, what they're related to, and sometimes I just, I, I won't at all, and, and um, my responsibility is to the Lord in that. Um, I give here to this work first, as I mentioned last week. One time, one time we were in San Francisco, my, my wife and I and our kids, and, and I was I was struck by the, the panhandlers and the homeless, and I could have given cash to someone and also been guilty of stumbling them and partnering in them going deeper into a spiral of addiction. But what I did when I got home was I wrote a check to Teen Challenge San Francisco and I put it in the mail. Um, I I wanted to be intelligent about the help that I offered. It's not as though I'll never give money to someone who asks. Sometimes God speaks to our heart about that. But we have to be wise. And every time we're in a parking lot and we're pulling out onto a main road and somebody's standing there for a long time, we would kind of explain that to our kids and say, we want to be careful. In our area, some of the people that we see, they're actually using children as bait and it's a part of human trafficking um listen to the orange county sheriff's department they have a lot of wisdom in this area sometimes a lot of times people that are doing that um, they are guilty of non-extraditable charges this is more information than you asked for and so they can't be sent to where they came from and they haven't done anything bad enough yet to be arrested um there's all kinds of organized crime implications that goes into that um I do the same thing here that I've done in other areas, giving to the Orange County Rescue Mission. I love the work that they do. They know what they're doing. It's a fully orbed work of discipleship that, that takes people um, through rehab on into discipleship and job training and placement, a two-year program. It's, it's tremendous. And they do urgent food needs as well. We have to use wisdom. We have to be careful about that uh, because we're responsible. We're responsible for all of the money God's given us, and and especially so the money that we're attempting to invest uh, toward and in his work. Now, Paul's advice to Timothy about caution in ministry speaks to this. 1 Timothy 5.22. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourselves pure. Our giving should be a partnership, an agreement with the one ministering, and we should take care of that investment to be sure that it's being placed against a work, a ministry that honors Christ and the word of God. It's a partnership. Now, let's look at verses 17 through 18, because giving is also growing. Verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Paul here reveals his motivation and heart behind speaking to this gift the church had given and his receiving of it. He's not trying to hype them up. He's not seeking to make them feel guilty. Um, Really, this isn't even about him. Paul knew that with or without the Philippians, God would take care of him. God was able and had been faithful to him. I like this quote from Hudson Taylor. He writes, when God's work is done in God's way for God's glory, it will never lack God's supply. Paul clearly labored according to this philosophy. He didn't look to man to supply his needs. He trusted God. Though God certainly used men and women to uh, bring about that provision, Paul knew he didn't have to manipulate and push. God would provide. And he did. Sometimes through Paul working, Sometimes through God's people giving and still other times, no doubt, in ways that couldn't even be understood or quantified because Jesus is still multiplying loaves and fish. God is still working in ways that we don't even see and can't even comprehend. His point here isn't to focus on the gift given, but on the church in Philippi, the individual believers, the growth they would and were experiencing as they gave. Verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Paul understood that when a follower of Christ takes the steps of faith and obedience in giving to the work of God, to God's worker, that the giver grows. The act of giving by faith, it grows us. It's, it's a stepping out and trusting the word of God and, and the promises of God that he's going to be faithful to count the investment toward the eternal and provide for us, even though we're giving a portion of that provision away, really back to him. It, 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 it requires faith, doesn't it? It's, it's an area in which God called Israel to test him. Many of you are familiar from that passage in the book of Malachi chapter 3, and it was originally a word to Israel through the prophet. However, there are principles that agree with it in the New Testament as well. Malachi chapter 3 verse 8, will a man rob God because Israel is a nation they hadn't been giving to God for a long time, and they were robbing him? Yet you have robbed me, but you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. It's kind of interesting to look at our, la, our, our uh, not giving as, as actually robbing God, because we are withholding from him what already is his. Verse 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Though this was a word, again, specifically for Israel, we see this concept repeated in the New Testament. Verse 17, really, we just read it. Paul said, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account, he went on to testify in verse 18, indeed I have all and abound. And we'll see later in verse 19, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. When we give, when we write a check, when we type out the numbers on our, uh, on our device or laptop, we're trusting that God is going to be faithful to keep his promises. And just like any area where we step out in faith and trust God in his promises and walk in obedience, we are going to grow And our faith is going to be bolstered as we see God keep up his end. Verse 18: Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Our giving is a sacrifice, and it is pleasing to God. Worship is a sacrifice. Isn't it? During that song, Jireh, Pastor Frankie, he gave us a little bit of context, reminding us from Genesis of what took place there uh, between Abraham and Isaac, and how uh, he was called to do that. And the Lord provided a lamb; God provided a sacrifice. Well, it was literally that way in the Old Testament, but it remains that way in our present time, still today. In ancient days, what was offered was literally sacrificed, all right? You actually went out to the herds of the sheep or the goats and you took a lamb or a goat and you sacrificed it. You offered it. You gave it up to the Lord. Its life was taken. And in the offering, there was loss. There weren't bank accounts back at that time, although there were precious metals and then other commodities that were traded in. There was bartering. This was sort of akin to taking from your account. An animal, a sheep, or a goat, it was worth a lot. Why? That animal held value, its ability to reproduce, supply wool or leather, offspring, milk, or meat. To give that up, that that cost the the worshiper something. To bring that animal to the temple was to forego the profit that might otherwise have been realized. It was to choose instead to worship God, to invest, and to give back to Him. When we worship God in this way, it costs us something. That's true in worship, it's true in our giving, in offering our time, and certainly in offering our finances. But it has to first come from a heart of worship. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable worship. And it's interesting because the language used by Paul there, speaking of how our lives are to be offered in worship parallels the act of giving in worship, the, the, the language we find here in Philippians. Paul wrote that it was, it's a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Where giving and worship have to begin is with a heart surrendered to God. When we're growing there, we grow as givers. Now, lastly, we'll look at the, the final five verses. And our last point is giving is getting. Verse 19: And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. That idea of giving to get, um, in the context of money, it can be twisted a little bit, can it not? All right? Some of you have strayed onto channels on the television you ought not to view and, and heard this concept abused, or maybe on the radio or somewhere else. But the reality is that there's, there's an element of truth to it in the right context, because the, the reality is, is that we cannot. Outgive God. I read that a certain man, well-known for his philanthropic spirit, was once asked how he could give so much to the Lord's work but still remain wealthy. The man replied, Oh, as I shovel it out, he shovels it in, and the Lord has a bigger shovel than I do. I like that. I like that perspective. Verse 19, And my God shall supply all your need, according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. What's being told us here is not simply that God gives from his wealth, but that he gives according, according to his wealth. So he's not just taking a little from his vast resources, sort of like we talked about earlier in the context of our giving, but instead he's giving in keeping with them. He's generous He's supplying our needs in keeping with a heavenly economy that only knows abundance. Though Paul was imprisoned and experiencing a trial, God's provision through the church in Philippi had been according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And in fact, God had supplied all his needs. To a people faithfully serving Christ... Sacrificially and consistently giving to the work of God. This was true, it is true, and it will be true. As we faithfully give from God's provision to us, He in turn supplies our needs such that we may continue. And and just to clarify and help us understand, this isn't isn't some formula that you can uh, trick God into making you rich and wealthy with but it is a a principle that he's faithful to. I am certainly wealthy by many standards the world over, but I'm not a rich man. But I've seen God be faithful. When we chose to give when it was hard, and when we chose to give when it was, we'll just say easier, not easy, but choosing to step out in faith and say, God It all belongs to you, and I'd be a fool to try to hold on to a portion that's yours anyway. I'm going to trust you, Lord, and I would far rather lack in this life and be invested in eternity than not. Needs are not the same as wants, are they? God's promise to meet our needs, but not our wants. We should clarify that. It's the needs that God promises. He does give attention to the wants sometimes, doesn't he? That's great. What a blessing. But what this promise relates to are those things that we need, essentials. Remember, Paul had written to Timothy that with food and clothing, with those we will be content. Chuck Swindoll writes that God supplies our needs, not our greed. Nonetheless, we find this principle and promise in Scripture that when we give, we will receive accordingly. Jesus spoke to this in the context of extending mercy. In Luke 6, verse 37, Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. And then verse 38, give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, it will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Though Jesus is directly speaking of forgiveness in Luke chapter 6, the idea is applied elsewhere as it relates to giving. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse, uh, for example, verse 6. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart. That's important. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. In my office, I have have a lot of books, um, and I have books that people have given me, Um, but I have a stack of books given by a friend who uh, attended our church several years back, the church I pastored before we merged, Um, and he'd given me these books. He'd actually written them himself. This is a man who spent his life in in banking and, and, in fact, was involved in financing the building of Laguna Woods and Leisure World, and he wrote this book wanting to pass along his knowledge and the things that he had learned, and, and the guy was savvy. He was very successful. But when I knew him, he was at the end of his life. He was dying. He actually had given his life to Christ only a short while before. He, um, mammon was his god in many ways, and he had a, a, a daughter and son-in-law that loved him dearly and finally saw him one to Christ. Um, but he asked, he gave me this stack of books and, and invited me to share it with others, but he said, first I want you to read it, uh, Pastor, because I don't want you to give it out if you don't like the advice. And I read it, and I said, it's, it's good, I'll, I'll share it, and I have. But the one thing he told me that he wanted corrected, that he wished he could have corrected if he had written it uh, later in life or knew better, um, was that in this whole book he neglected the subject of giving and he said, I know now, and, and I wish I had known that earlier in my life. Um, he really he wished he could have rewritten the book, but uh, time was too short. He wanted to include giving as the key to godly money management. So again, he made me promise that if I give it to anyone, I'd give them that exhortation. So if I give you a copy, it'll come with that. Author and pastor W.A. Criswell, he was the pastor of First Baptist Church of Dallas uh, many, many years ago, tells of an ambitious young man who told his pastor he'd promised God a tithe of all of his income. They prayed for God to bless his career. At that time, he was making $40 a week. This is an old story. This is from a long time ago. And he was tithing $4, and he was happy to do that. Some years later, this young man's income increased. He actually became tremendously successful to the point where he was tithing $500 a week. He then called on the pastor, though, to see if he could be released from his tithing promise. And it was too costly now. The pastor replied, I don't see how you can be released from your promise but we can ask God to reduce your income to $40 a week again, and then you'd probably have no problem tithing the $4. I remember reading a book by Larry Burkett. He was the prior generation's Dave Ramsey and uh, a great leader in Christian finance. Some of you remember Larry Burkett. Uh, And I read a book by him, On Biblical finance for a class that I took in Bible college and he communicated a principle that I loved and I still remember today And it really impacted me at the time in my college years He essentially stated that we tend to imagine when that happens when I've got this when I've arrived when I've made it Then I'll give to the Lord and and we do this in a lot of areas of our life and obedience but specifically in regards to giving but he made the point and he said, The way that I manage $1 is how I'll manage 10. And that's how I'll manage 1,000. It's how I'll manage 10,000. It's how you'll manage 100,000 or a million. No, nobody becomes a millionaire and then all of a sudden decides now because we have this amazing ability, have you noticed, to allow our spending to match our income. <laughs> Give today for your sake that you might share in kingdom work. I don't know how much you give. I don't look at those numbers. I don't want to look at those numbers. I know how much I give. <laughs> I know I could probably give more. I know, I know God's still growing me in faith in that area. But it's for us. It's that we might experience the blessing God has for us in trusting him, in obeying him, and in seeing those resources invested in eternity. When we're focused on the kingdom of God, when we order our lives rightly, the heart is the issue here, a heart that's surrendered to God, the heart of a worshiper, seeking and serving Christ above all else. When we do that, God will take care of our needs. He'll take care of our lives. He'll order our steps. We'll close with these words from Jesus, Matthew 6, verse 30. Why don't you stand with me Pastor Frankie joins us and leads us in a final song of worship. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this word, Lord, originally written to the church in Philippi, God, to the, the, the churches in Macedonia. God, for how you have spoken to us, Lord, of, of a joy-filled life. A life lived seeking you first. Lord, that, that our lives would be captured and, and summed up in knowing Christ. Lord, that we may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. Jesus, may that joy translate into a life of faith, into a, a life of service to you, God, a life where, where we're stepping out, trusting you in all areas. And we pray, God, in relationship to this area of giving, God, it touches on trust, it touches on fear, Lord, it trusts, touches on all kinds of things, God. You know our hearts and where you want to grow us individually, where you want to bless us. I pray that each of us would respond as you're speaking to us, that we would be encouraged, Lord, in, in, in our trust in you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be wise in our giving, Lord, loving in our giving, God, um, faithful, Lord, God, trusting you, Lord, stretching out as you would have us by your spirit and we pray that you'd meet us and and fill this time of worship now in Jesus' name.